1: And um, that there's a lot of truth to that. So uh, how do we that find was Biggie, right? was that wasn't Biggie the one who said that? Oh my God, you know, the same bard. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yes. Um, so the key is, uh, how do we go about realizing that, hey, all the stuff that we accumulate, it's all towards one end, which is to be healthy, happy, well-nourished, functional and thriving and giving our gift to the world as opposed to accumulating stuff that you can't take with you
0: that is so true and i think on a micro level people have the feeling of i'm not enough so it's like not only is there not enough in the world and everyone has the disease of give me more 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 Then whatever they do whatever accolades or achievements they achieve on a personal level it's like now what so it's like the ego is always in a search for more, 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 more micro level. So how how do you tell your clients to because you work with very high end clients, how do you curb that I am not enough, no matter what I do, voice in your client's head?
1: Right. That's a that's a great insight, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing that. And this whole idea of not having enough, it all comes from the from the very core belief that I am not enough. Because you, you don't see the Dalai Lama going out there and trying to raise a billion dollars for his next startup. He's just like, oh, we're here, we're cool. But at the same time, he's not sitting on his butt all day long. He's doing whatever he can uh, to go out there and help his people, you know, free Tibet, enlighten the masses. Uh, so uh, what I try to encourage people to do, which is highly actionable, is to go from self focus to, to uh, a service focus. And there's a really great book called uh, The Social Leap. And it's all about how uh, these ape-like creatures descended from the trees, came down and started to live on the ground in the savannah and became eventually humans. And the way that they succeeded against the mastodon and the saber-toothed cat, which both of them are much stronger than we are, was by banding together and by connecting and by becoming a community. So we are hardwired to find community and helping each other and sharing each other and learning from each other highly pleasurable and meaningful. So, uh, what I encourage my clients and all my readers to do is to reorient themselves towards service Mm -hmm. and doing, because that is ultimately what gives people meaning. And, uh, we're just hardwired to find altruism actually quite pleasurable. And when you do that, when you get out of that self-orientation, kind of the whole notion of I am not enough goes out the window because you're no longer focusing on you. And I also encourage my uh, students to meditate because the more you meditate, the more you realize that this whole notion of me is kind of an illusion. Uh, It's not really there. You can't find it in your gallbladder, kidneys, hands. The me isn't there if you really, really look for it. So once you realize that, it's tremendously liberating. And then you can be an instrument uh, for the universe to pass on the abundance to everybody else, and to express your gift, which is so much better preoccupation than accumulating stuff or becoming a you know hedge fund manager who's just a middleman who doesn't produce anything for the world. You become a creator and a producer and an asset to the planet as opposed to a bane to uh, everybody's existence. So.
0: Thank you. That is beautiful. Well, that makes me think of Keith's story because uh, when Keith was in prison, not only did he study the law to get himself out of prison he also used his knowledge of the law and what he studied to empower his fellow inmates to get out of prison. And he was really of service to everyone around him in prison where they would come to him for advice. And I'm sure that helped you uh, cope with the mental stress of being in jail that you were of constant service to your fellows. Right, Keith?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Self-centered thinking and self-centered worship (laughs) um, played a very large part in my character defects because so much of my life was playing the blame game that I blamed everything else, including things I had absolutely no control over as being the causation of why my life was not developing as my belief as I thought I was able to achieve. And being born in a mixed race family, my father being African-American, my mom being Italian and East Indian, and I was raised after the advent of the Civil Rights Act in 1964, I had a lot of self-hatred. I blamed God, I blamed my mother, I blamed my father. Why can't I be? Why can't I be this? Why can't I be that? Why do they make fun of me for this? Why do they make fun of me for that? When I was in sixth grade, I mentioned that to you, Rebecca, during your podcast. I came home from school in tears. My mom asked me why I was so distraught. And I asked my mom a defining question. Mom, am I white? She says, Keith, why would you ask that? I said, well, mom, the black kids are making fun of me. They call me gray boy, half-breed, zebra, and mutt. And so clearly, I'm not black, mom. So what am I? She says, wait till your father gets home. My father came home from his aerospace job and he told me how I got to be made up the way that God made me. And from then on, I started seeing the world differently because I had limiting beliefs and that seed of self doubt and self hatred was planted deep within me. And I didn't know what I didn't know and couldn't see what I couldn't see. The culmination of those character defects had me find my pain reliever through drugs and alcohol. The consequence of that behavior is either institutions, death, or incarceration. And tragically, mine was incarceration on the heels of being the causative party to initiate a vehicular homicide on Sunset Strip in November 92. And while incarcerated, I had to get down to causes and conditions because all those who had dominion over my life told me I will never see freedom. The only time I will ever leave the state incarceration prison cell is through pine box parole. They call that toe-tag parole. And after doing 18 years, having become my own attorney, left no other alternative but to fight for my own vindication and liberty, I prevailed at the U.S. Ninth Circuit and secured my freedom. And since then, I've passed everything that I've amassed inside to those with whom I come in contact by starting a nonprofit. So I'm able to help them overcome those limiting self-sabotaging belief systems. And like you, I have a four, um, four house principle, I would call it, um, the spiritual, the physical, the financial and social. And that helps me stay out of future tripping where I don't think I'm good enough. I think I'm less than. I think I'm deficient in what I need to succeed in all areas of my life. And I also no longer live in regret, remorse, self-feelings of if I wasn't, then I would be. Those thoughts plague me and become the deficit of what I'm trying to accomplish. So I stay present, I stay conscious, I stay in the here and now. And I get invited to do wonderful things like here, now, with you.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And and that is so powerful. And it's, it's just amazing how we all have that in common. And I know when Sarah was on the podcast, and just knowing her for so many years, she started off as a nanny. And she always had that. She had two voices, right? The voice that I'm not enough, but then this voice that she was meant for something so much more. And she was able to suppress that I'm not enough voice and go for this humongous life. So I just want to acknowledge you for that, Sarah. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about your philosophy of direct marketing and how it's different. I know you do something that is called social retail. So what is social retail and how does that differ from traditional direct marketing?
3: Okay. Can you hear me first of all? Because I couldn't hear either one of the guys. So I was so bummed. I've I've been just smiling for 20 minutes. (laughs) well you know first of all thank you so much for having me here i'm so honored to be part of this and um like rebecca talked about i come from very humble beginnings i grew up in uh minneapolis minnesota you probably can tell from my funny accent, and uh, i am a midwest girl and you know i just fell in love with i just had the spirit of being an entrepreneur for my whole life i started selling lemonade at the age of eight and the rest is history and um But, you know, I think for a lot of people, especially what's happening nowadays, I mean, the reality is, is that we live in some kind of wild and crazy times right now. And the the reality is, is that majority of people are looking for a multiple stream of income. They're looking to do something. A lot of people have been stuck at home. A lot of, unfortunately, haven't been able to work or they're working from home. They're raising kids. They're maybe raising grandkids, whatever it may be. We are all spinning a lot of place. There's just a lot of stuff happening, and so, you know, I just think that it's so important that you have. Number one, uh, I for myself, I, I I'm very grateful that I I offer people an opportunity where they can do something very very part time, um, but also too, I tell people like you make sure like your eyes have to be open right now where you need to look for something that is online, that you can do part-time, that you can do in the nooks and crannies of our lives no matter kind of what we're doing. And so I just think that, you know, I mean, during just when COVID first happened, I mean, the the most Googled phrase out there was online, you know, how to make money from home. Like people are looking for ways to make money online. And so um, I just think that, you know, it's just so important to be able to find something that number one, you're super passionate about, Number two, you can do it, you know, already has a proven system. Number three, um, it's something that, you know, look for the, the mentors that you can work with, right? I mean, there's tons of uh, great mentors on this panel. Again, that was one of the reasons I wanted to be on here because I knew I would learn a lot today, right? So um, so I just think that, you know, just our whole world has changed and is going to continue to change And so it's just such a blessing for my husband and I to be able to represent an amazing online brand that, you know, gives people an opportunity to make some extra income or, you know, maybe even transition out of what they were doing to being able to do something like this online, you know, from from the convenience of their home, right?
0: What I love about what you did, Sarah, with your husband and what you continue to do is you are doing this in a balanced way. So you're manifesting all this abundance and you're working from home. You have a 5 and a 7-year-old. You know, you're working with your husband and you know, you don't have to like, you know, work like go to rush hour traffic cuz nobody's going in traffic, work 60 right. to 80 hours a week, like work 12 to 16 hours a day busting your butt eating lunch at your desk like to make seven or eight figures. The fact that you're doing it in such a balanced way from home is why I want to join the panel. So it's pretty incredible. So, um, great. We're going to go back around. We're going to do like a round Robin again, the second round of questions. Cause I want to make sure everybody gets to be heard. You guys all have so much. So I know we talked about this, uh, Dr. Allie, uh, we were talking about some of the self-help gurus and stuff out there. Like how much is enough? And, and what is that doing to people? I know you're an MD, too, on a cellular level when they're, like, in constant fight-or-flight mode of, like, going, 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 needing more, more, more. So why don't we talk a little bit about what happens to our bodies when we're in this constant pursuit of more, 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 more.
1: That's a, that's a great question, Rebecca. So uh, last year I went to a seminar by a well-known uh, personal development uh, teacher, and you know, the material was was very good, and people were very excited, and they're jumping around, and uh, I felt the motivation myself to go out there and do great things, but at the same time, one thing that I noticed was that there was no mention anywhere in the seminar about enough. It was all about more, and that seems to be a lot of what uh, the self-help industry these days Is about, it's like, oh, let me teach you how to manifest more stuff. Let me teach you how to, uh, you know, uh, make more money. And of course, there is definitely a place for making a living. There's definitely a place for having access to abundance. Uh, But at the same time, uh, there is this tug of war between ambition and contentment. And you just have to have a thermostat that eventually says, pink, turn off. So a big part of uh, how humans have kind of gone haywire, as we see over the past six months, is that there's a certain uh, decoupling of our feedback mechanisms from nature, right? And before, if you, uh, you know, 100,000 years ago, if you managed to get lucky and hunt down a deer, right, suddenly you had a whole bunch of meat that you couldn't possibly eat by yourself. Right, you had to share that, and so you did. And as a result of that, you created these bonds, these cross links between the other people in your tribe, and sense of community grew, and everybody felt better, and everybody survived. Right, but nowadays instead of the deer, you have money, and money does not spoil, and money, you know, uh, you don't have to share it. There's no feedback mechanism that says you have to. There's no shaming of rich people. In fact, there's a lot of uh, encouragement of rich people to be richer. So what that does is it puts you on this hedonic treadmill that really has no upper limit. And then, you know, our brains are uh, oriented. And I'm sure uh, Keith can speak to this. When you start with drugs, right, you start with a small dose. And then that's not enough anymore because your brain is very good at adapting. So then you need a bigger dose. They need a bigger dose. And the same thing works, works with pleasure. So you get the nice home. Next thing you need a bigger home. Next thing you need a boat. Next thing you need a yacht. Next thing you need a super yacht. There is no upper limit to that. And if the cautionary tales of all the uh, stupendously rich people in the world isn't enough, then I don't know, I know what is. So um, that puts you in this constant state of vigilance. And it's like, oh, even, even though you have a billion dollars to your name, even though you have enough money to last you for 100 generations, for 100 lifetimes, 10,000 lifetimes of your own, right? You still feel like you don't have enough. You're still comparing to the person next door. So. Uh, And, you know, this is kind of a built-in feature of the human neurology. I don't want to knock it and say, if you do that, you're an awful person. It's just the way we're built. So if you want the happiness instead, you just have to work for it. And as far as I can tell, meditation is the way to get there. Because then you start to realize kind of the unreality of this all. And it's like, "Eh, why do I need 10,000 lifetimes worth of money? I don't really need that. do I? What else could I be doing? How else could I be... Uh, helping people and particularly the metta meditation i like a lot which is the loving kindness meditation which is strengthening the muscle of compassion because it's so important to realize that the more power and wealth you accumulate the more detached you get from humans because you feel like you don't need them anymore and so that compassion muscle atrophy so combination of some mindfulness practice plus some meta meditation uh, will get you to the place where this whole perpetual vigilance and perpetual being on the hedonic treadmill will eventually calm down, maybe, if we're lucky, and you'll get to a point of, wow, okay, I can create abundance, but I want that in order to share more. I want that in order to empower others more and sure, uh, ensure the uh, safety and propagation of my own offspring, but perhaps we all have a bigger gift to give than that.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's like, on a cellular level, the parasympathetic nervous system, right, rest and digest. I remember going to several healers, and they're like, you need support, like your genals are burned out, your, yeah. you know, your parasympathetic nervous system needs support, like you don't ever allow yourself to truly like rest and digest, like people are eating, and they're on their phones, and they're on their computers, and and they don't really get deep sleep because they've had so many stimulants all day. So I, I think that meditation is a really great way to kind of like to kind of disengage from the fight flight that is ever present in our society of, of wanting more, 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 more.
1: Yeah. And those chemicals are super addictive. And, you know, I, I have so yeah. many examples of friends. I have a very successful venture capitalist friend and at age 52, he got pancreatitis. You're not supposed to get pancreatitis at age 52. It's just not happened. But this guy was so stressed out, always flying around. His company's always on the brink of disaster that he just completely burned out and collapsed. And, you know, his company's worth more than a billion dollars now. But if he's dead, that doesn't do him a whole lot of good.
0: Exactly. And me personally, just during this pandemic, I had emergency gallbladder removal. So I, you know, I experienced that too. And I'm, Every day, it's a discipline just to slow down and just be present and practice mindfulness. So let's go back to Keith. I want to talk to you about your mindset. So when you're in prison and they're telling you you're basically going to die here, how do you create a mindset where you get more focused on your goal of getting out and getting free than all the obstacles that were in your way? How did you make that paradigm shift?
2: At a biological level, spiritual level, I had no other option. It's kind of like the saying I heard Bob Marley say that you have no idea how strong you really are until you have no other choice. Yeah. I was surrounded with over 35,000 life inmates who were told, You will never. Be free again.
0: Your last
2: breath, thirty-five thousand.
0: Telling you, you'll never be free. Thirty-five thousand inmates.
2: Wow. Lifers. Yeah. Life inmates. There's over one hundred and sixty thousand in California incarcerated any given day, but California has exponentially greater number of life inmates. Those who were sentenced to spend the remaining part of their days in a prison cell. So out of 35,000 lifers, when I entered the system in 1992, they had not even a 1% success rate in obtaining their freedom under Pete Wilson. That when an inmate, man or woman was found suitable by the parole board, the governor would exercise his gubernatorial power and pull the grant of parole, exercising a veto initiative and saying you will not leave under my watch because they built their political platforms on safety and security. So every single day I had a conscious awareness of my fate. And I, every single day, many times throughout my day, I had to say not me. I couldn't just do it by my vo- my voice. I couldn't do it by every time someone mentioned my reality that I would chime back, not me. I had to show it from an internal level because as the man thinketh, so is he. So from the first thought while still in my prison bunk to the time I closed my eyes at the end of the day, every cell of my being had to be 180 degrees different of the mentality that brought me into that state of incarceration. So uncovering, getting down to the causing conditions of how did a kid born with a biological mother, biological father, both worked. My mom was a chief operating nurse in a hospital. My dad was a high-ranking engineer for Lockheed Martin. How did Me, their offspring, and my brother, who's never been incarcerated, had nothing more than a speeding ticket, how did I become incarcerated with a life sentence? Why me? How did this befall me? To my own self be true, I had to get down to that cause and condition and found out my limiting self-sabotaging belief systems... Caused me to get into the drugs and alcohol, and of all the times where, after the cake party in school, that I would look out some bedroom window and wonder is my car there, or all the times where my mom would say, "Boy, you have a rude awakening awaiting you." I would hear the words in one ear and they would go out another. I never understood that I was an accident waiting to happen. So when I realized at first that the the parole system was set up the way that it was, I kept thinking I'm gonna get my relief through the court system. So with the love of my family and friends, I had paid counsel for over 10 consecutive years fighting to change my convicted offense. Every single challenge, the door was shut. No one would look at the evidence that I didn't deserve a life sentence. So after 10 years, I had no other alternative but to become my own attorney. So I literally gave up everything in my life, but waking up in the morning, meditating, opening up the law books, studying the law, getting around others who knew more about the law than I, patterning myself after them, and doing what they did. I ended up filing over 30 cases in a state and federal court. And as you know, it took me almost five and a half more years before my challenge of their postcard denial of parole suitability reached the U.S. Ninth Circuit. Wow. I would only, someone asked me the other day, how were you able to maintain a positive mindset? And I said, it's very much akin to the biblical character Noah building an ark after it hadn't rained for hundreds of years. That everyone would say, oh, that's no, he's crazy. He's just going to keep building this thing called the ark for some reason. He thinks God's you know, giving a direct appointment to build this thing and that there's supposed to be some major flood and everything's going to die if he doesn't succeed in building this art. So basically, you're the insane person because when they say, Keith, let's go outside and get some exercise. And I'm like, no, I just did my stuff in my cell. I'm cool. Keith, let's go join, you know, the basketball team or play flag football or some extracurricular activity. I'm like, no, I need to go to law library. I need to do these pleadings. I need to study jurisprudence. I need to, I need to. And they're like, dude, you're hard timing. You're not, you know, you're just going to drive yourself crazy if you keep this going. I had to hold my no. Yeah. And a lot of people, I don't care where, like the doctor said, how much money you have. Because I was a bodyguard for six and a half years. I carried a licensed gun. I went to a police academy. I did not go on the police agency. I went straight into the private sector as executive protection specialist. I work with people like Prince and Madonna and David Hasselhoff and my most illustrious clients, Millie Vanilli. And I worked, with the, I worked with the Saudi Raymond royal family. I watched people with more money than Oprah Winfrey, than the top 10 millionaires on the world because they really are the founding fathers of petroleum. And I also saw people... Who had an, came with an entourage of 30 people in a private L 57 and they were miserable. From the time they woke up to the time they went to sleep, if they cracked one smile in a seven day period, it was a miracle. Wow. So I know for absolute certainty that Whitney Houston would leave a thousand, a hundred thousand people in a stadium. She would go off by herself to find her Zen. And that was doing drugs and alcohol.
0: Wow. I'm going to cut. I hate to cut you off, but I want to make sure Sarah gets her chance because we're almost out of time. But uh, that is actually what you're saying is perfect to lead me into Sarah's Mm -hmm. last question. So you are experiencing this super abundant lifestyle. I know your sales team did like a million dollars in one day of sales. And I know that you're very spiritually focused and family focused and you have a loving marriage. So how do you keep yourself grounded in reality when, you know, you see your all these dollar signs are just like pouring into your bank account, even beyond your wildest dreams of starting this company? What do you do to keep your family and your relationship first and your spiritual life first and not get not get uh, thrown off course by all the abundance that's flowing in? Oh my gosh Um, I just remember all the years that
3: I struggled Yeah, we
0: got three minutes left I just want Sarah to take us out Oh my gosh, okay Yeah, we only got three minutes So just a couple minutes and then I'll just say Some closing statements So I know that's a deep question to answer in a couple minutes But you
3: can do it Okay Um, You know what, I just, I know what it's like When people are struggling And so I just, my whole thing is about being Relatable and if you're not relatable um you know people just they just don't believe and so especially in my business i mean i look at you know all the years that i struggled but i also you know i just i just know at the end of the day like money doesn't make me happy you know what i mean my family makes me happy my spiritual life makes me happy i just you know i've just really focused on those things and you know I think it's the biggest thing too, is I just look at every day. Like I just, I focus on just getting better and just growing. And I also really believe that every person that I meet either a, I'm going to enrich their life or B they're going to enrich mine. And that's how I live. And I live that fully. And I know that, you know, I think too, the more money I make, the more obligation that I have to give back and contribute and always continuously come from the right place. And because, I just feel that you know that is really part of my 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 life mission is is the giving piece. I mean, I definitely think I was blessed to make money to to give. I mean, that's that's where my heart is, and so because of that, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big job, that a big calling that my husband and I have on our life. So um, so we're just we just we just always remember to be grateful. We just don't forever forget where we came from. I have two little kids. So guess what? I, I want my kids to know what it's, you know, life, what it's like to, to be humble and to show love and to be compassionate, to be unconditional and to do all those things. Right. So because of that, we're very, very careful because they emanate everything that we do and how we live our life every day. I want
1: to say thank you, Rebecca. You had a wonderful panel. You got about 60 seconds to wrap it up, but I really want to give a big round of applause to all of you guys. If you guys want to show some love to Rebecca and everybody.
2: Thank, to you. Show so- just everybody thank and- you, Rebecca. To- well, consummate
1: any of the technical difficulties you may have had, we're still working the bugs out. Come visit us at the main stage, visit us at the red carpet. We'll, we'll make it worth your while. If it already has it, Ben, I'd be shocked, but so much information. Go back in, look at all the videos that you may have missed, the speakers. There's one more big full day. And Rebecca, I'll let you take us home. But thank you so much for a wonderful panel.
0: Thank you. I want to thank Bernardo Moya for shifting his uh, humongous conference of 20,000 plus people in person to virtual and just shifting and pivoting. So thank you, Bernardo Moya. And I want to thank you, Tony. My ex-husband, who's now my friend, and now we get to collaborate and (laughs) co-host the panel. I want to thank my panelists. And if you want to keep in touch with uh, me, you can go to balancebeautifulabundant.com. There's also a quiz there, a free quiz, where you can see which area of your life is out of balance. And we'd love to help you get that in alignment like my wonderful experts have. And I just want to thank you guys so much all for being a part of it. And if you're watching, uh, I just wish you the best life and keep going to events like this where you get to change your mindset and your heart set to expand your awareness to, you know, become a better version of yourself. So I just congratulate everybody who's watching this either live or on the video loop and keep on your path of personal growth. So thanks everyone. It was amazing. Thank you so much
1: for your time. Thank you. Make sure you run around the expo and see so much more. Uh, that's it. We're going to go back to the main stage and watch the best you expo live unfold virtually right in front of your very eyes. All right. Bye-bye everybody. We'll be right back. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Who says you can't have it all? I'm proof that you can. You just have to put your life into balance. Too much of anything, money, fitness, socializing, can overtake your life. When all seven aspects of your life work in harmony, you will achieve the balanced, beautiful, and abundant life you've always dreamed of. Please subscribe to hear more inspiring interviews. Is there someone you know who could benefit from this podcast? Please share this podcast with them. Please review this podcast. Your feedback will help me target your needs and plan for upcoming shows that answer your questions and feature guest speakers that can make a big difference in your life. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. Feel free to DM me to book a free balance assessment call. And don't forget, stay balanced, beautiful, and abundant.